Hello, human peoples. You're listening to the podcast network of Gamefully Unemployed. Support us and gain access to great exclusive podcasts like Fox Mulder is a Maniac, Tom and Jeff Watch Batman, Star Trek The Next Futurama, and our latest show, Spiel Boys. Head over to patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. We do game streaming, movie nights with our patrons every Friday night, and you can even commission your own podcast about anything you want. Literally anything, within reason, and we have to do it. You are quite frankly out of excuses not to go visit patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. That's patreon.com slash G-A-M-E-F-U-L-L-Y unemployed, which is spelled like it sounds. Podcast. Podcasting. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hello. My name is David Bell. I am Jason Pargin. Oh, hell yeah. And we just watched Avatar 2, Way of Water, and RRR. Both movies. Why do you come to us? I just want to keep my family safe. This is interesting, Jason. This is going to be the first time uh, we covered two movies at once. Also, two movies we've already covered. Um, and I feel like this is all your fault. I blame you, uh, and I'm very happy that we're doing this as well. And so, thank you for doing it. Uh, and uh, I guess, first of all, just is there is there anything you want to plug for people? Incredibly, uh, now that you're here, the next book is up for pre-order. Because I've gone to this accelerated book writing schedule, and it is in the Zoe Ash series. It is called Zoe is Too Drunk for This Dystopia. If you've not, oh, that's beautiful. If you've not read the other Zoe Ash novels, they are gruesome science fiction novels. They are for adults or extremely cool kids. Uh, the first, the first one was called Futuristic Violence and Fancy Suits. The second was called Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. Uh, so the new one comes out this fall. As those of you who listen to me a lot know, I start uh, asking for pre-orders way in advance because that's how the industry works. Yes, yes. And so far, those books have been great. Um, they are, are. We have a patron who constantly, for their hypecast name, uh, changes it to whatever you're plugging, and they have already swapped over to the Zoe series. I'll have you know. So they're they're way ahead of this. Uh, so that's cool. I feel like I, um, I should explain this episode was my idea. And if people don't get why we're talking about two movies again, we've talked about before, I can explain it if we feel like it, it should be my burden to do so. No, I don't, I don't know if it's your burden. I, 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 you came to us and you, you asked like, have you, have you done avatar yet? And we had, uh, but you're like, I have a very specific thing I want to talk about. And I, I was intrigued by it. Uh, because, um, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you don't seem like you were a fan of Avatar 2, and we'll get to that. Uh, I was pretty lukewarm on Avatar 2, and it's kind of amazing. Like, I, I think the, 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 the good starting point is the fact that you look at the Academy Awards, and you look at the fact that Avatar 2 is up for Best Picture, uh, and to me, it's like, it's not, I didn't hate the movie, 
But I'm like, really? Best picture. And then RRR, you look at it and it's like best song. And I know India didn't submit it for anything else or for best international, but it's still like, yeah, the Academy could recognize it. And, and I just like, it's just, I'm, I'm so, I'm so confused by how Avatar keeps doing this, I guess. Um, because again, the movie was fine, but it wasn't best picture material. And now it's on to making like how much? How many billions is it at now? It's, cost, it's, it's, it's a couple billions. It's crossed over two billion. It's now the fourth highest grossing movie in history. James Cameron now has three of the top four. Avengers Endgame is right. the only one that's not his. So it goes number one, Avatar. Number two, uh, the Avengers. I think number three, Titanic. And then number four, it just knocked the one of the Star Wars movies off the list. So he. So this this is the thing. Because this film is objectively one of the most successful pieces of cinema in the history of the art form, and it will win awards. The Academy Award thing, very strange. Avatar did not get any other nominations other than Best Picture. Like, there's no Best Director, no Screenplay, no Editing, I don't think. There's no Performances nominated. But then when it came time for Best Picture, they're like, oh, yeah, that was the best. But but none of the individual elements were good. (laughs) it feels it feels very political right it feels like they're like well we better put it on there you know uh that's that's the feeling i get from it uh which is like i don't there's so many other films that could have gone there instead uh and that's why it it like it's like this little itch i need to scratch uh because as you're saying like yeah it didn't get anything else and i'm guessing I'm guessing they're going to, I said this before, like they're probably going to return of the Kings this, right? Like it's not going to win anything this year. It's up for best visual effects and I could see it getting that, I guess, uh, for obvious reasons. No other film should be considered for visual effects. I mean, I'll say that right now, but that does not for a best picture make. That's not how we do this. No, because I, so I watched it again for this. I watched both RRR and this. And I, actually, do you want to do you want to explain why uh, we're putting these two movies? Because it's like it doesn't feel it's not necessarily fair to compare two completely different movies, but I do feel like this is a good comparison. Plus, and I want you to explain why. Some of the people listening right now have no idea what RRR is or why we're talking about it because not everybody listens to right. every episode. They should, or at the very least, the ones I'm on. Um, but basically. Yeah. RRR is an Indian uh, film from from India. I refer to it as a Bollywood movie. It is technically a Tollywood movie, starting with T, because it is formed in the Telugu language. But that is a technicality. Right. It is any normal person we saw it, they'd say, "Oh, this is a Bollywood action movie." It is right. that and. I'm oh, sorry. Go on. It is a mega hit in India. It's their second highest grossing film of all time. So over there, it is the most expensive Indian action film or in a film of any genre ever made. So in India, it was a massive sensation last year when it came out. It They made a deal on Netflix. And in spring, summer last year, it went viral. Like on Twitter, people like, what is this thing that popped up on Netflix? And then suddenly RRR was in the top 10 in the United States in movies. And it was a true, one of the very, very first breakthrough 
films because they started booking screenings in the United States. It started to get all of this traction in the USA, and that simply doesn't happen for Indian films. They look too foreign to us. They all tend to be musicals. They tend to have song and dance numbers in the middle, middle of them, things that just tend to turn off American audiences. So RRR last year became more and more of a story over time. When we discussed it, I felt like we were still being movie hipsters, like, hey, right. you know, check this out. It, it, it's on there. You know, it, it's this foreign film. You probably haven't heard of it. But it was weird to say you probably haven't heard of it. Then you would go look up a YouTube clip from the movie and the clip would have literally 140 million views. Right. Because on the opposite I, side of the planet, it's one of the most popular things ever made. I would argue now to most of the people listening to this, uh, I bet actually have heard of it by now because it did since we talked about it. And, you know, I'm not I'm not directly crediting us, but it is, you know, it has gotten very popular. And uh, you're welcome, I guess. Uh, specifically, it. it, it well, what specifically brought but, it back onto the radar for us is that it got nominated and won a Golden Globe, not not for right. Best Foreign Thing, but for Best Song, and then it got nominated for Best Director, again, not for Best Foreign Director, but just Best Director, period. It didn't happen to win that. It won Best Song, and then it got the Academy Award nomination for Best Song, and I felt right. should have gotten other nominations it didn't get it didn't get submitted for best foreign, but they submitted it for director, best picture, all of that, and it didn't get nominations in that. I disagree with that. I've seen RRR six times as one of my favorite films ever made, <laughs> and it is this the reason I compare the two films is that they're the same uh, plot setup. It, it's it's evil colonizers. It's, you know, humble, rural heroes of the resistance who are, like, closer to nature. And then it hits a lot of the exact same points. Because, obviously, that film, you know, you've seen it in many different genres. It, it's a standard template of movie. Um, and so there are certain beats that they each hit. So if you're going to compare two movies, these are two films, in my view, that both are going for spectacle – both are intentionally designed to cross language and cultural barriers. They are both, this was very intended to be a film that people outside India would watch. Obviously, Avatar is a film that could only make its budget back if, if right. everyone on earth watched it. And they both succeed for completely different reasons. And I think the reasons are fascinating because I watched Avatar 2 was dazzled by a lot of what I saw. I completely get why people feel like you need to see this in a theater, but felt nothing and forgot everything about the plot one minute after it was over. RRR right. stuck in my head so much, I had to go, I had to go back and watch it again. Yeah, in the last couple of days, I rewatched both RRR and Avatar, uh, Avatar Two, and uh, the first time I saw it at Way of Water in theaters. Much like everybody, yeah, the spectacle, it was nice. It's also when you see a movie for the first time and you don't know what's going to happen, there's a certain element of, like, interest, right? Uh, if the movie is well made, uh, which Avatar, you, you know, obviously it's well made, it's James Cameron, there's an interest in, like, what's going to happen, what's, you know, how are they going to get out of this, etc. Watching RRR and Avatar Way of Water a second time, I couldn't help but notice how goddamn bored I was watching Avatar 2. Now, knowing what everything was going to be, 
it is kind of a joyless movie. Like it's I I you know I'm not I, I, this is subjective, but when I watch it, there's there's they do very little work to get me invested in the actual characters, uh, and and we'll talk about why. And whereas RRR, like I literally get tears watching that movie, like just during the dance scene because it's so joyful, uh, and it's such a celebration of 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 movies and of spectacle and of entertainment uh it just it works on me every time and part of that the big part of that is rrr just feels generally more grounded in human and like a more emotional story than avatar uh and i do think they're worth putting side by side because i mean what we're going to talk about there's a lot of superficial similarities for sure uh but there's a lot of like deeper similarities that when you compare it really does feel like one of them kind of blew it compared to the other uh and so like i, I don't know it, i think it's a fascinating matchup yes and again i fully realize there are people listening to this who loved avatar a lot and that is totally fine i want to make it clear because i'm going to talk a lot about what i hated about the movie and to be clear i really walked out of the theater kind of angry at how how little they seem to care about story story structure all the stuff in favor yeah. of getting the set pieces in this, this spectacle on the screen now wanting to see spectacle is a 100 percent valid reason to experience art lots of art is just spectacle the joy of i have sorry i have a good comparison real quick which is the movie 2001. I love that movie. That is an emotionless movie. Yes. That is a spectacle. And I like existing in it. And I imagine a lot of people just like living and Pandora. Uh, yes. I like the video game Horizon Zero Dawn, even though the story is, is kind of weird. The pacing is weird. I enjoy existing in that universe and looking at it. Right. I like the, the aesthetic of it. That is perfectly valid there's a thing where we get mad at people if they say well i just like to turn off my brain and watch a movie there are different modes to enjoy art and a lot of the greatest art ever made is just there to overwhelm your senses and the desire to see something you've never seen before and that no human has ever seen before is a truly magical one. Like the original Jurassic Park did not succeed because of its characters. It did not succeed because of its powerful themes. It succeeded because humans laid eyes on dinosaurs for the first time and they looked real. You, we, like it was the, the birth of the CGI and that new technology and people went to see it in droves to see something they had never seen before. So James Cameron very well knows this is new technology. The presentation is new. And then he is extremely smart about how he conveys it. Because it's not just a CGI. It's the access to the big water tank, the sets that he's going to sink, and the ships, the, set, the, the sets that are going to sink into the water, and it's all very real. And he knows how to execute that in a way that every time you come into a scene, hey, here's something you have never seen before. So I Would get you agree, it. though? Yeah. Would you agree, though, that... Jurassic Park, I think you're right. The reason everybody went inside Jurassic Park is to see dinosaurs. But I think there is a separate reason why Jurassic Park remains a movie that I put on and watch. Whereas Avatar isn't that thing. 
And that's because while the, the spectacle of it actually got people to go see it, I do think the characters, the, the, the actual humor, the, 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 the more personal moments and the way it's shot ultimately is what makes a film like that like last you know be a movie that people can rewatch over and over again where i would i would personally argue avatar especially this new one kind of lacks that aspect of it it's 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 more just like look at what we did but i feel very little need to watch this film ever again and the thing is james cameron absolutely understands this normally like Titanic was right. not about watching a boat sink. He he made you feel in love with the fall in love with these two characters, and then you so desperately wanted to see them get out that the the ship sinking, you know, as the boat broke in half, you weren't like, wow, that looks really cool. I wonder how he did that. It's like, oh my god, that boat broke in half, and Jack and Rose are on there. I want them to get out yeah. safely. So the emotion being tied in with the spectacle is something he's always understood. And Aliens, you know, one of the greatest action movies ever made, but that works because you have the little girl who's vulnerable and you have, you know, Ripley trying to get her out on all the themes of motherhood and, and all of that. All that stuff ties in there so that when, you know, the, the thing collapses and there, it looks like they're going to get stuck on the planet and the alien queen is coming up, you care not because it's like, wow, look at that ama amazing like alien queen costume. It takes 16 puppeteers to move that thing around. No, it's you're afraid for Newt and Ripley. You know, it's right. he has taken time and invested in you caring about these people. Avatar 2, I, I would like to just jump into it because, for example, a key difference in the two films that I think if, if somebody had access to both of them, if you're in the future when Avatar 2 is on streaming, you wanted to like see them side by side, is in the way it opens and introduces the both the, the world and the characters. Because Avatar 2 opens with basically a voiceover from uh, Jake Sully, the protagonist, saying, Hi, it's Jake Sully. Here's what's happened since the last film. <laughs> Yes, and w I want to note what happened since the last film is a lot, and it, it's like, so they left, and then they came back, and then they were here for like a year, and then I had kids and a family, and I love them, and it's like, slow, slow the hell down, Jesus. Like, he basically describes an entire different film uh, to catch us up and be like, all right, and so all these things have happened. All right, here we go, and I just thought that, that to me, was wild. But I think... When James Cameron is visualizing that opening, it's like, okay, we've got a shot of them moving through the jungle. We've got a shot of the spaceships landing. We've got a shot of the jungle burning. Like, he's storyboarding right. out these visuals to show off, you know, the depth of field on the, the 3D, the high frame rate, and how crisp it looks. But in terms of, right. like, bringing you emotionally into the story, man, if you, like me, hadn't seen the original Avatar since it came out in what year? 2007? Whatever it was. Seven? No. What? When was it? I don't know, man. I'm not going to look. In more than a decade. <laughs> like, I, you know, and, and I didn't remember much. I certainly yeah. did, was not emotionally invested. Like, I wonder what Jake Sully's been doing all this time. And it doesn't. Right do much to bridge that gap it's kind of like hey look you're you all paid you know and like it was 21 dollars for the ticket for me to see this in the fancy theater it's like look you all paid money to see this I, i've got a bunch of stuff to show you Let's sit down and uh here's here's the stuff that's coming like like there's very little effort 
to do what James Cameron knows you have to do, which is to bring you in. And it's like, oh my gosh, I love these people. I want to see them come out of this. Okay. It, it's so, yeah. it feels so much like a tech demo, um, which as a tech a good de- comparison, oh, is like aliens where it's like they all wake up and we spend some time with them. And we like, we, they're joking around, they're having fun. Like, that's what you're talking about, right? It's like a moment to be like, see how you like these people. <laughs> like, you're getting to know them in some personal way. So here, again, we're going to compare two movies that in their respective uh, industries were the most expensive films ever made. Obviously, the dollar, actual dollar amounts cannot be compared and right. Like, I think RR was made for something like $70 million, which is unheard of there, but that would not have paid for the catering on Avatar 2. <laughs> um, okay. So, Avatar, I, we described how Avatar 2 opens, and then it, it you know, because you're establishing several things. Here's the world you're living in. Here's the nature of that world. Here's the fiction of it. And then here's the bad guys who you're supposed to hate. And you see their spaceships landing. Again, they burn a bunch of animals alive. The humans are slashing and burning. And it's like, okay, we we hate them because they're destroying this beautiful forest we just saw. We like Jake Sully because he told us in a voiceover, hey, I'm the main character. (laughs) I'll be be guiding you through this experience. RRR opens with, by establishing the exact same thing only it zeroes it down to a single child and a single family where they are in the jungle around delhi and they are because this takes place in 19 the 1920s when the british ruled india i hope most people know that bit of history uh Mm -hmm. and that this is a very ugly period and so it basically has these extremely wealthy British overlords, the governor of that region, hunting, collecting tons and tons of animals from the jungle, and then the locals trying to keep peace with them, like entertain them and trying to like tolerate them. And then they, the evil woman, the wife of, of this governor, sees this little girl singing and says, oh, I, I, I want this child. And they, they pay, they toss the mother a coin and just take the child. And the mother's like screaming. And then to stop the mother, like they just bash her over the head, and that's it. And the yeah, oh, and they don't waste a bullet. That's important, right? Yes. That one of them goes to shoot her, and he gives a speech about how that bullet uh, it took. It, it costs like a pound to get from where it was to here. Why waste it on the locals? I think he puts it a lot worse than that. And then then they bash. So it shows like the brutality and then how little they care about these people. Yes, that they do not see them as human. And it is everything you're supposed to feel about the evil colonial invaders, about the locals, about their powerlessness. It's all summed up with a child, a, a club that hits this mother over the head, and then the sight of her hand lying you know, in the dirt with this coin in it that they paid her to to take her child. So right. it hits so much harder because, again, this is a film that is spectacle, but it has not started the spectacle yet. It has started very small. It is just, you know, one family, one child, one tragedy, that what it makes you feel. And then everything you need to know, it doesn't need to show you everything that's happening everywhere. It doesn't need to show you a massive army. 
it just shows you this one incident. And from that, you can see the nature of what is happening here and what's happening all over the country. Yeah, you look at that and you're like, oh, that times, you know, thousands. And uh, we, uh, we've we mentioned this. Cameron, Cameron, he knows how to do this stuff. I would argue like the first Terminator, he shows a couple like sweeping war shots, but even like showing the future where it's like a single bunker with people crying and families and then a, a single Terminator comes in and starts shooting them all. And it's like you don't have to show these sweeping war scenes. Uh, you just have to you keep it like kind of grounded and you focus on the people the humans directly in front of you and it makes it way more personal than if you just show this like large landscape um like would again like yeah i do i care that they killed all those animals yeah but there is like a, a disconnect from this uh this like voiceover and these ships coming down and these sweeping shots of fire where it feels more like I want to show you this, this thing I made, look how cool this image is uh, versus a, a more human element. Like they, they could have very easily done avatar with a scene like this. Right. And to be clear, it, like the stakes in the original Terminator, it, you know, it, it's, there's all this stuff about time travel and the end of the world and the robots taking over. The stakes are a single waitress getting killed by a crazy person. Right. Like it's visceral because you see her, you see her life, and you don't want to see her get hurt. Now, they learn later that the stakes are much, much bigger, that this is a robot that her son's going to – but the reason you right. feel it, the reason you're watching the movie, the reason you want to keep watching it is because you want to see Sarah get out of it alive. She's just this common yeah. person. It could be you, you know, anybody you know. But like, yeah, Avatar could have easily like – they could have shown like a small village – they could have shown like children playing. Uh, this is pretty brutal, but they could have shown like uh, Navi living their life. And then the scene is just that. And they look up and the ships are coming down. Right. Like they could have very easily done a version of this. Uh, and it's weird to me that they didn't. Then it comes time to introduce the main characters, which in right. Avatar 2, again, Jake Sully, your protagonist, is introduced by him giving a flat, monotone voiceover describing some things. He is not in danger. He is not – like, there will be an action scene fairly soon, but the stakes of it, we don't know. It's just them conducting this raid on, like, a supply train. It's – we don't know where it's going. We don't know what happens if they succeed or if they fail. It's all just showing off. Like, look, look how real this looks. Look at the, the sets. Look at this, you know. And the bad guy, you we showed off because it's like, hey, we brought back the bad guy from the last movie that you thought was dead. It turns out they did like a right. – spoiler. They did like a backup of his brain and they've uh, we put him into an, an obby and, and here he is. And, and his introduction to the story is him like waking up in this hospital – and again, them just giving like a straightforward scientific explanation, like, all right, here's here's what we did. Yep. You're, you know, you're going to go they, back and. They also introduced Spider, who's apparently his son. And it's like, where was he in the first movie? <laughs> he had a son. Like, they, it, there's a lot of like, oh, yeah, by the way, this stuff also was happening in the first movie. Um, but what you're pointing to is like. Yeah, Stephen Lang is back. He's cloned. He's back from the dead, which they kind of do a little bit of work of like, yeah, that's pretty trippy. But they like 
You'd think that'd be a bigger deal to like Jake Sully. Like one thing I noticed is when Jake Sully finally learns that Stephen Lang is back, there's never a scene where he's like, holy shit. Like, how is he back? What did they do? Like, he's just like, oh, hey, you're back. Uh, it's, it's such a, it's such an anticlimactic, like reveal with this stuff. Similarly with his, like Jake Sully having these kids in the train you mentioned where it like, they do this thing where like they, they attack the train and then, and then the kids encounter Stephen Lang and then Jake Sully is like, we have to go and run. I don't want to do this war anymore. And all I was thinking is like, you just attacked a train with like some of your kids what has changed and it's the the problem i have with this first part is they never show like they never like start with our main character jake sully and where his mind's at like is he haunted by nightmares of stephen lang is he is he like tired of this war they never establish any of that it's just a series of events and characters saying i want to do this now and I'm like, why? I don't know why you want to do this. Now, uh, it's just so kind of disconnected from the emotional aspect. I worry that some listeners are going to say, well, now, hold on, Jason, you are forgetting that one film is a sequel and another film is an original movie. Like RRR has to completely introduce you to these people from scratch and, and Avatar 2 knows you saw the first one. That is not how it works. You can watch any yeah, also. any great sequel. You reintroduced everybody. Like aliens, you know, they find Ripley in that lifeboat ship and she's having PTSD and they're like, they invite her to go on this mission. And then the character defining moment is when she calls the guy and says, I'll go, I'll go with you to go investigate the aliens. But to be clear, I'll only go if I get to kill all of the aliens. <laughs> I'm right. not going to go I, to go study them. I'm not going to investigate. I'm going, and that's like you're as the audience. If you've not seen the first movie, that's, you're fine. It's like no, we know. Right. We now know who Ellen Ripley is. She's not a scientist. She is a blue collar woman who is has seen all of her friends be killed by these monsters, and she's like, if I'm going, we're going to burn that whole thing down. Like it's yeah, yeah, right. I'm on board. And there, I would also argue a sequel needs to recalibrate to like, like, like you're saying with aliens, which is Ripley is a very different person at the beginning of aliens than she is at the beginning of alien. And the idea is like to say like, okay, here's where we're at with this person. Now here's how the first film affected them. Also avatar two in this beginning sequence introduces like 10 more characters. Uh, and and they don't like by the time spoilers one of Jake Sully's kid dies. My reaction was, which one is that? I one hundred percent. I one hundred percent did not know which of his kids died. They did yeah, not have they, distinct personalities from each other. Yeah, and they didn't do the work to make me like them. Uh, they they everybody's so serious. There's a couple jokes here and there in this movie for sure, but it's it's. The person who seemed to be having the most fun and the most growth, oddly, was the villain. Stephen Lang and his little adventure with Spider was like the closest to like, um, like, like giving us characters that we could emotionally connect with. I thought because at least that had a progress of like, watch Stephen Lang try to learn to be Navi, and while this human kid is is taking the piss out of him while he's doing that, you know, like that was something, and I actually thought that was. One of the few like good character aspects of um, this movie, 
But like, as for Jake selling his kids, it's just him saying, no, 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 you can't do this stuff. It's too dangerous. Them defying him. And that's it until one of them dies. And I still, I still don't know which one. And like this beginning sequence, this is where you establish these connections, right? This love between him, why we should care about these characters and love them. But it's just Jake Sully doing this voiceover over shots of him playing with his kids. And like in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I get it. You love your kids. Like, of course, of course you do. I don't love your kids, though. <laughs> like you haven't, the film hasn't given me a reason to like your kids other than to know, yeah, people love their kids. If a kid gets hurt, it's bad. So it's like, I know why the characters are doing the things they're doing. I'm just not emotionally there with the character, I would say. Contrast that to RRR, which for those of you who have still Mm. not seen the movie, the way I got wrapped into this is I started watching it ironically because I saw people on Twitter talking about it and they were sharing like, uh, like video clips of the crazy over the top action scenes. And I thought, oh, this looks like it'll be funny, like like it's it's goofy, like often Indian cinema is to to American ignorant American eyes like mine, and right. it was not far into the movie that I was just one hundred percent invested, and then when it was over, I immediately watched it again. The way I watched it a third time was I was getting right ready to do our podcast, and I thought, well, I want to watch that opening because I was really impressed with how it. It is structured to, again, this is made by people for whom English is not their first language. It's for primarily a different culture. And the way it sets the ground rules for even somebody that's never seen a an Indian action film in their life. I watched that opening and could not stop watching the film at that point. It's like three hours and nine minutes long. Like I couldn't, from that opening, I had to stick with it. I knew what was coming. It didn't matter. I, I couldn't stop watching. So it has the opening with the child, and then it immediately cuts to RRR is two giant Indian uh, action stars who've never been in, like two stars this big have never done a movie together, I guess. This is very rare for them to do it this way. So one of them is named uh, Ram Sharan. The other one has, is, he goes by NTR. It's he has a much longer name, but he's famous enough that people call him NTR or NTR Junior over there. So nice. the first one you meet is Ram Shran. He is playing a real Indian revolutionary named Rama Raju, a completely fictionalized ver- superhero version of that. And you meet him in this. He is in this uh, like a police precinct precinct in India, and there's a massive riot. There's crowds of thousands of people trying to like break through the fence and everybody there is terrified except for him and one of the rioters throws a rock and damages a photo of the king i guess be what would be king george the fifth or whoever the king was at the time yeah and the evil indian overlords like go give me that man bring bring back he points into this massive crowd of rioters and says and demands this guy be arrested and then Ramaraju sets his hat down and jumps into the crowd and proceeds to fight off several hundred men to bring this guy back <laughs> in one of the most spectacular action scenes outside of like Fury Road I've ever seen. And in that scene, this is so key. And I would, if I taught a class on like story structure or screenplays, I would show the scene because it is a contained story with a complete hero's journey, beginning, middle, and end. 
He's sitting from his a comfortable place behind the fence. He has to venture out to do this mission. There's several ups and downs, and and you he he almost dies at one point and gets overwhelmed. And you see him like just refuse again and again. He refuses to quit. And you see this man who is just a force of nature. So there is spectacle. There are hundreds and hundreds of extras. There are stunts. And he drags this guy back and brings him back inside the fence. And then the rest of the riders basically disperse out of fear of yeah. this man. And he it, puts his hat back on, which is like the punctuation, right? It's the bookend of like, all right, taking my hat off, doing this, coming back in, and putting it back on. The expression on his face is a more striking visual than probably anything I saw in Avatar. Yeah. Like, like he's one of those guys when you when you see that Ram Sharan is like, oh, he's a movie star. Okay. It's, yeah. it's like he has a presence about him and just everything about the way he acts and they and also the first thing you see him do is to get over the fence he just jumps like 20 feet in the air it is establishing immediately the rules of this universe you are in a heightened reality okay that's the way we do it here this guy is superhuman it's you know gravity works differently here People can survive things they would not survive in the real world. It's established right at the start. It does not use it as a cheat later. It's the first thing you see happen is, okay, this is over the top, right? But it has a complete story that defines his character, his relentlessness. It's spectacular. It's action. And it's a complete series of events. You're invested the whole time because it's like he's going after this guy. Do you want him to catch him? And you, when you see like how driven he is, it's just compelling because it's like oh my god this guy is like the most dangerous person in the world yeah and it it really sets it up this is this is one of the most like when i i i uh my parents watched this film because i recommended to it and this scene like my dad is just like i have to show the scene to your nephew i have to show the scene to everybody where it's just it's they open basically with one of the more memorable scenes because they know to right because they know they need to, you know, they just showed something very sad and they're like, but we want to also show that this is going to be a really badass movie. So let's put it up front. And as you said, there's a game to it or there's a story to it. And I would argue the next character introduction also has that in a different way. And so they're also like establishing like, we know what we're doing with the action. Like we're, we're the action isn't just... It's not just a, uh, uh, you know, I, the comparison for Avatar, I guess, is that train getting raided, um, which is just like a big CGI spectacle um, where this is like we're going to play a game with the action, which is very important, I think, for most action scenes. And then we're going to also show you the most badass thing you'll see. And this is we're we're barely in the movie. Uh, it's such a good opening like offer because how long into the movie are we right now like 20 minutes would you say maybe there's a lot of preamble stuff that they put a lot of credit stuff up front so it's a little bit hard yeah. to gauge exactly because i i think it's uh they, a lot of foreign films do that they have a lot of the technical stuff in, in front of the movie instead of at the end um right so then the, the next thing so now you've got two you've got two protagonists to introduce so the next thing is you see this indian of- official going to meet it's a quiet scene and he's just meeting with some of the British evil overlords and saying, hey, you know, I've been talking to the local uh, police or, or the, you know, the ones who've been in charge of just keeping the peace here. 
we understand that when Governor Scott was on his safari, that they took a child back from this tribe, and we're recommending the child be returned. And he is having to be deferential to the evil British overlords for obvious reasons, because he's in occupied territory and he's like a go-between, right? Um, between the citizens and the, the occupying government. And the evil British overlord is like, he's sitting there smoking a cigar. He's a douchebag. And he's like, why? What, what do we care? And he has to explain like, okay, this tribe you took the child from, they're very peaceful. They're not, you, you notice this, like they're, they're not warlike or, 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 you know, they're not going to cause problems, but they have this guy who solves problems for them. And we think he's already on the way. If he's not here already, we're recommending you return the child. And he's having to kind of convey the trouble they're in. And then it ends with the evil British overlord saying, are you honestly saying that this one tribal warrior with, with his spear or whatever is going to take down the whole British army? And the other guy does like this nervous laugh, like, oh, no, 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 of course not. But also, yes, that is exactly what is going to happen if you don't <laughs> return this child. And then it cuts to the jungle with like this tribal chorus roaring in the, in the soundtrack and the camera is sweeping over water and the camera is upside down. So what you're seeing is actually the reflection and it slowly turns over. And then Komaran Beam is standing there in a loincloth with his eyes closed, dripping animal blood on his head. And he opens his eyes into the camera. It is like the most visceral thing. And all he's done, like, like you heard about this guy 10 seconds ago. And all he's done is look at the camera while this blood drips down over his eyeball. And it's like, oh, all right, I now know everything I need to know about this person. Yeah. The, he, you mentioned that they're both like stars in India. And I think it's interesting that like, I don't, when I watched this, I didn't know who they were. And I still felt blown away by their intros. And I think that's very important. Because like, if this was like The Rock, I think there would be an extra level, right? Of like, oh shit, it's The Rock. We all know what a badass he is. I didn't know anything about these guys. And I'm still like, Jesus Christ, like... Uh, I think I think that's a, a I don't know it's a notable detail there because I'm sure if you actually knew these guys as action stars it's even the impact is even bigger right listeners pause this and go on YouTube and go <laughs> look up uh, beam intro reaction because there are people who right. took videos from the theaters in India especially you know, the the Telugu regions where it came out they are standing up in screaming like when this happens <laughs> like the sound of that and he comes on the screen it's like such an introduction it's like a rock star taking the stage at a concert like they yeah. i know they get rowdier there than american audiences but it, they are so hyped for this it gives you goosebumps and, and you can see that they are they know this is the effect it has on the audience like they're really pumping up the moment and you then you proceed to see him again engage in a complete story beginning middle and end because he's he's out there you're curious about what he's trying to do he is trying to catch a wild animal i think he's trying to catch a wolf he accidentally gets the attention attention of a tiger they have to go through this <laughs> whole process and he does a series again of superhuman feats he is a force of nature it makes it extremely clear it, it is like this guy is impossibly strong but then he takes extra care not to kill the tiger, not to hurt it. They put it to sleep. They've got a net. 
And then he, yeah, I I want to know he's holding the tiger back with two pieces of rope that is pulling the tiger back in the net that the two pieces of rope are like around a tree and then back towards him holding the tiger back. So the more he pulls, the the farther the tiger gets from him. But of course, the tiger is right in his face. So it's this like pulley leverage system that's just like that alone is like such a nice little detail uh and of course the net breaks and he throws something that knocks the tiger out wonderful sequence but again it is a you're invested the whole way because there's suspense there's drama there's curiosity what is he trying to do why is he doing this and then he almost dies yeah. and there's twists and turns where he does it like initially the trap fails the rope breaks and da 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 it's like it, it could be a short little movie on its own, it, it just yeah. just like the previous introduction. And again, it that's how drama works because we don't know who this guy is. We don't have any reason to care, but they have made us care. He wants something. He has a goal. He's going to try to accomplish it. Oh, my gosh, he's almost not accomplishing it. Oh, my gosh, he's about to die. And you find yourself wanting him to accomplish it. And so now you're invested in both of these guys, and then the story is going to reveal that they are at odds, and then there's going to be some twists. It's going to turn out they're not. But in terms of getting you into the world, there are lots of movies I could use as my comparison. The reason I wanted to bring RRR into this is that the hurdle it had to overcome with me was extreme. I don't watch that many foreign mm. films. I had never seen a Tollywood movie before in my life. I, I only see the only thing I knew of Indian cinema was the crazy little clips people post on YouTube or on on TikTok or whatever with some funny stunt. It, I it is subtitled. It's not in my native language. It, it is using a, you know a language of cinema that's a little bit different from what I'm used to. Everything about it should have been should have made it a tough sell for me. And it won me over, and it had to do that work to win me over. When they're making films in India, you have to understand, the stars had to record this film in four different languages. Because not, not just Telugu, not just Hindi, but uh, Tamil and uh, Kannada are probably saying all of them wrong. They had to record the songs in four different languages. This is because in India, there are over a thousand different languages and dialects it is a gargantuan <laughs> country and they were trying to make something that could their whole deal was they wanted to be to not just be a southern india indian movie they wanted to be to appeal to the whole country to the whole world the work they had to do to bring a cynical person like me into the story is so much more than what james cameron had to do with me because James yeah. Cameron, for that opening, was literally just like, eh, you've all seen Avatar. Okay, well, here, boom, here we go. It's it's more, the stuff is continuing to happen. I don't feel like, I'm not, I am very, very big about never calling a movie lazy. Because the sheer amount of labor that went into Avatar 2 is mind-boggling. Like, for sure. building the sets, like, people probably injured themselves and nearly died getting this movie made. It's not lazy in that sense. It's a... He knew that his technology would sell the movie and that he didn't have to do the work of the emotional heavy lifting of bringing you into it. That was my frustration with it, where as RRR yeah. had a very tough sell but did it. I would argue that, generally speaking, the writing of 
the new Avatar at least was felt lazy to me. And like you're right, is like the production side, obviously, even the, like you know the performances, everything, everybody's doing a great job. Uh, you know, James Cameron is a great director, but it did feel like the st- story itself felt very secondary to me. Um, and it, it struck me as like, uh, like there were these emotional moments that could have happened that they just sort of don't do. Uh, and there's a lot of like exposition dumps and like just a weirdness in the order that it does feel like his, his mind was just purely focused off of what can I do technically? Like, give me a script, just give me a script. Uh, all right, l- l- let me look at this. Yeah, that's good enough. That has all the things I want in it, you know? Um, and he was, it felt like he was completely, like the one thing you need to prove technically to me is that you can get emotionally invested in a CGI character. And I guess that's sort of something we've already proven at this point, so maybe he wasn't interested in that. It feels like this mo- Avatar 2 was basically him saying, like, look what I can do with water in CGI. And I want to do all the ways that uh, show all the ways I can play with water and water effects and water action. And there's some fun action in it for sure, but it, it, he, it just lost sight of the actual uh, storytelling elements that would have made me uh, connect to it. I also think a good, like comparing the two movies matters because they are, they're, they're two movies dealing with very similar ideas, right? Invading forces, um, like a, a a a native people versus an invading force um the the themes of cultural assimilation like both films have characters who have to uh infiltrate like at least avatar 1 did and then this one still has the idea of like i need to prove myself to your culture they go to the water the water tribes and they have to prove themselves to that uh, much like how in rrr there's a lot of that with the uh, like fitting in with the british people um and and there's also of course the themes of like nature versus technology, um, bows and arrows versus um, bullets. Uh, there's elemental themes in both. They're both it's the fire and water stuff. Um, so like I do think it is it's it's fair to compare the two mainly because they're just so similar in what they're trying to achieve, right? Uh, they're both. Uh, generally like a, the same type of story, I would say. There's also the kidnapping stuff where Spider is kidnapped, much like how the little girl is kidnapped. Um, there's there's the ch- there's a character's... I, again, this is more Avatar 1, a character be- like infiltrating a group and then having to betray it and the guilt that comes with that. It's all very similar themes, and it's sort of wild to me to see how those themes were done in one version and versus another and how much more effective it was. The children are continually kidnapped in Avatar 2. Multiple kids are kidnapped. Like in the the whole climax, oh, yeah. they're like they're At like the handcuffed end. to the railing of the ship that's sinking. But it's never I never felt for one second. It's always just a MacGuffin, like, oh, he's got they've got the kids, so now the thing is sinking, so now we have to go here to keep the kids from sinking and to rescue them, blah, blah, blah. Like it's always just like this is just You're right they yeah he kidnaps kids more than once doesn't he um it happens a lot because again it's like yeah. easy shorthand for oh there's something precious on here but the kids are not characters so and you could say well yeah but the little girl in rr is not a character but the emotional reaction of everyone 
around them and then of her getting taken and then seeing like how she's treated by the bridge and kind of they kind of treat her like a trinket like they don't torture her or anything but she's just this object is like oh it's a little exotic thing it's a it's an indian child right next to our vase and right next to our whatever and the other stuff right. we've collected from the locals that they're so indifferent to her and then like beam's emotional reaction to like finding out where she is and all of that hits so much harder because it's well that's the thing is uh, yeah there's like cues there's audio cues there's music swelling they they it's almost like tarantino with kill bill where they do that like sound cue every time she like saw that one of the villains one of the people who fucked her over like there was they do these things to make you go like oh they're pissed and it's also in the performance whereas again going back to like when Jake Sully sees Stephen Lang for the first time, it's like a hey, <laughs> like there's no there's no like you moment um, throughout, and it's like it, it's not it's not even necessarily that they didn't spend enough time on these things. It's the value of what they did with the time, you know, where it's like there could have been a lot more emotional uh, performances that would have probably made it a little better or just just have Jake Sully and his kids like have more of an actual like connection to each other, like show them having fun and like loving each other and doing something together and working together where that's what we see with the two main characters in RRR is like the first thing they do is they save that kid together in a very awesome way. Um, and you're showing that they like, these guys are having so much fun together that then when they have to betray each other near the end, it matters. It actually matters because you like them and you like them together. If I had to boil it down to one thing, mm -hmm. there was no point in RRR where I would have successfully predicted the next scene. <laughs> that movie, because again, there's a moment that in your story structure is, oh, the two characters meet. Like in some movies, you know, crime drama, maybe they meet in prison or maybe they meet in a diner or maybe they, if you want, if it's an action movie, maybe they, they're in some sort of a, an action thing together. Then here, the scene where they, the two of them rescued this other, it's just a random child that's gotten trapped underneath an exploding train and pull off one of the most awesome stunts of all time that culminates in them shaking hands in midair a hundred feet over the water while a train explodes over them. <laughs> it's it's like of all the things I thought was going to happen, because by now it's it's established in the film, these two men are hunting each other and they're both forces of nature, but then they don't they're both undercover, so they don't know it. So they meet and they're under their cover. They're both they become friends. So the tragedy of what's happening plays out. We know it's tragic, they don't. And like that train rescue, everything that occurs after that. I had no idea what was about to happen. When he goes right. to rescue the kid, if you had paused a movie and said, as I mentioned in the last episode, we talked about it, like, how does he try to get the kid out of there? I would have said, well, he's going to try to sneak in somehow. He'll get un he'll get discovered and there'll be like a big fight scene where he and the kid have to try to get out. And that is not what happens. Uh, if, yeah. if you've seen animated GIFs of this movie of, of a man leaping out of a truck with a zoo he has brought with him. <laughs> to to attack an army in a base, do a full frontal assault with himself and the wild animals he's brought. That's how he tries to infiltrate the base to get the girl out. 
there's no infiltration at all. Once he's through the gate, he just jumps out of a truck with dozens of wild animals he's brought who just start mauling everyone around them. It yeah. is the most wonderful and chaotic and beautifully choreographed thing you'll ever see in your life. It is just, and then Rom shows up and they start fighting and have this incredible fire versus water clash. It is amazing. It is very musical and acrobatic in how it occurs. Cause again, it is staged like a musical, but it is so over the top. I, everything that happens is a shock. Everything that happens is not what you thought was coming. There was not one single moment in Avatar 2 that was the equivalent of that. Like when they unveiled right. the, the big whale type creatures they have, that's treated as this massive reveal. Like, oh my gosh, this thing underneath them, it's actually a living creature. And then you see it, it's like, oh, so it's just like a slightly different whale. Right. It just has more eyes. Yeah, it's got like it's four eyes with more eyes. Two, two eyes. Like, that's it. Like, that's like I was literally kind of disappointed because it just builds and builds because the whole thing is way of water. What's out there? And this wild, crazy ocean of Pandora. And I'm like, oh, it's just whales. Yeah. Just whales, I, really. I said this in... Yeah, I said this in the last our last Avatar podcast, but it still bugs me. When he meets the outcast whale, we don't know what that is until after, meaning that this whale approaches with one fin and he's like, oh, no, it's going to get me. And then it helps him. And then later they're like, oh, yeah, that's the evil whale. And he's like, no, it's not evil. And like, wouldn't you do that in the reverse over order where they go, don't go past that area. There's a fucking evil whale out there. You set it up. And then when you see the whale, there's an emotional impact to seeing the whale where you're like, oh, shit, that's the evil whale. And then the, but they don't do that. They do it in the reverse order. Um, like even little things like that, it feels like I don't, I don't know that they, they screwed it up. I do want to say that. I think I, I mean, do you agree with this, that James Cameron thought he was making something that was more like Dune? Like, I, I do want to point out that, like. He's not trying to make a, f a big, silly, fun movie here, right? He's trying to make like a serious sci-fi epic. He's um, under contract to make three more of these, Avatar yeah. 3, 4, and 5. I think that's the issue is that – and yes. again, when he's – he did not start with a screenplay. He started with, no. here's the size of the water tank we have. We want to do a water-based thing, water-based stunts. We, I, want to do, I want to do the sinking of the Titanic only – because that, that is the climax of Way of Water. It's they sink a big ship and then there's an action scene. Like, I want to do Titanic only. There's like a gun battle on the ship while it's sinking. That's going to be our climax. Right. And then everything in that first act is just trying to get them to the water water part of the, of the planet. Right. And I want to note that, by the way, he I think he really screwed that up. The first Avatar, the climax is Jake Sully versus Stephen Lang's character, and it's very personal, right? And I, uh, it's one on one. Um, this sinking thing, this this big sinking ship, not a bad idea for climax. The problem is everything until that point seemed to indicate that they could hold hold their breaths for long for a very long amount of time. There's these extended sequences where they're all underwater holding their breaths for like five minutes at a time. And, and they never establish rules based around how long can the Navi hold their breath. So when it became this moment and they're like, oh no, I'm going to drown. And it was like, oh really? You are? Because I wouldn't have known if you hadn't told me that because there's no rules set for this. Um, I thought that was a misstep, but I wanted to establish the fact that he's trying to make this a serious 
epic because I think the thing that RRR realizes, and I think um, this director, um, what's his name? Rajamoli is, yeah, I believe, his yeah. name. Yeah. SS Rajamoli. Um, SS Rajamoli. Um, what he like? Have you seen Ega or any of his previous films yet? Have you seen Bahubali? I've seen yeah, both of the Bahubali movies. Yeah. Yay. Um, what he understands that I think a lot, like not all, but a lot of CGI Hollywood movies don't is when people say to me like, Oh, it's, it's a fun, you know, it's just a fun CGI movie. We're just having fun. My answer is always like, okay, but why isn't it more fun then? <laughs> like if someone said to me, well, listen, you're, you're taking avatar too seriously. It doesn't, you know, like it wasn't focused on the characters. It's about the spectacle and stuff. It's like, okay, then that should have been more fun. The most fun I had was when that guy's arm, arm comes flying off of him like an action figure, which was fun. But it's weird. Like I, I, I would say the part I liked about Avatar was that last sequences where like the whales falling on the ship and shit like that, where that started to feel actually fun. Uh, but like you compare it with something like Hobbs and Shaw. That's a movie that understands what it is, right? That's a movie that's like, listen. We're not going for realism, so why not go for hyper hyper realism? Why not or why not go for like complete fantasy um, there? And and so like we're describing when they save that kid and they're swinging and they handshake and it's so awesome. It's just I think Avatar should have been more fun from the start. I think the one of the main problems with this uh, series is it's taking itself so goddamn seriously because it wants to be Dune. It wants to be that, but I don't, it, the reason Dune or, or any uh, like Lord of the Rings, anything like that doesn't have to be over the top is because they focused on having a really compelling story. Right. And I just don't think Avatar's story, they're, they're not doing either. You know what I mean? Like they're not making it fun enough and then they're not making the characters matter enough. So it all feels very muted to me. Where it's like I can't even watch it for like the spectacle, not really. There's, I, I guess that's the thing is there's multiple there's different kinds of spectacle. So for example, the thing yeah. that Avatar or the thing that RRR is up for the Academy Award is a song that is from a dance number that we talked about in the last podcast. Sixty minutes in, where most American movies have like their key pivotal pivotal either twist or action scene. In RRR, it's a dance-off. And if you hear yes. me say that, if you've not seen the movie, it sounds like, okay, in, if you had that in an American movie, it would be a parody. It'd be like, isn't it wacky that we're going to stop and dance 60 minutes in the movie? But right. in RRR, the song that is nominated for an Academy Award, the the version that's up is the original Telugu version, Natu Natu. If you watch it on Netflix, the song is called Nacho Nacho Nacho. It just means dance, dance. It is a scene yeah. where the two superhuman heroes, both men undercover, they think they're friends. They are both secretly working to do something else. Beam's trying to get this child back. Um, and then at the time, you think that Rama's hunting Beam. They go to this party at the big headquarters where the British are because they have befriended a woman who's a part of that royal family. So that's their in. They are there. And then the plot point is they realize where the the child is is being held. But it, the key is that this is them getting they're infiltrating, right? So they both have to put on Western style suits 
and go attend among all of these British people and they're being treated like crap. They're being, you know, mocked and humiliated because the, initially they're mistaken for some of the staff or whatever. And then Beam starts getting bullied by this British guy who we know from watching the movie up to this point that Beam could kill this man with like three of his fingers. Like he would not yeah. it, it break a sweat breaking this guy's entire body in half, but he can't do that. He's undercover. And his best friend, Rom, also is undercover. Like they can't turn this into a fight and they know it. And this guy goes, the evil British guy goes in this little speech about, because they're all dancing. It's a fancy dance for fancy people. And he, he boasts about how many, because he has had a cultured upbringing in the best British schools. And he knows all these different dance styles and starts talking about why do we care that we're erasing this culture because they don't have a culture. Like these people just live in mud huts. Like what what do they have? It, it's like what what difference does it make if this culture vanishes because there's nothing to it. They're savages. And then mom st you know, starts playing the drums and then walks up and says, yeah, I, I, I don't know about any of those dances. Have you ever heard of not to this dance we do. And then this dance sequence explodes as spectacle. One, as we mentioned in the previous episode, it would appear that in the course of this filming, this dance scene, which took weeks to film, that several hundred extras must have died. It is the most violent <laughs> dance. But they are, go listen to the song. Go listen to it on YouTube, whatever. You can, you can Google either version of it. They, they had to make each version work in each of the respective languages. But the songs have the same structure, which is it starts out as this extremely jaunty, happy tune. And the lyrics are like, come, do this dance. Do this, this goofy tribal dance we do. Come. And it's inviting them. And then the song goes faster and faster and faster. And the, the dancing becomes more and more and more frantic. Because they are in this dance trying to outlast these British guys who are trying to keep up with them. It's a dance-off, but they are dancing for the right of their culture to keep existing. Yeah. They are dancing because they're trying to say, we will outlast you. We can dance longer than you. This is the spirit that you're trying to break. Let us show it to you in the form of dance. And it is spectacular, like the definition yeah, I of want spectacle. To note, it is a violent dance, but I think just to make sure it's clear, it is a joyful dance. Like it is a fun, like it's violently like fast and complex. And you look at it and you're like, Jesus, I, I like that would kill me to try to do. They're smiling uh, but the whole the time. They're smiling. Yeah, they're having a blast. And all the other people like who are not, like, you know, they get everybody into it at the party and there are people who are genuinely like won over by it, you know, obviously the one British guy isn't, but like, it's also like that idea of like, not only do we have this, but you, you love it. You fucking love it. Yes. <laughs> like, and this is great. That's the key. Like all these bystanders start like cheering for them because it's like, oh yeah, you're right. And they are smiling and they're happy the whole time because they have to be. Like you actually right. see Rom, like part of his dance is him trying to show the, the evil British guy, again, a man who is in the process of genocide of his people, trying to show him the dance and like smiling at him, like giving the thumbs like, yeah, now you're doing it. Now you're doing it because he has yeah. to. 
he he can't be aggressive there. He he can't. He has to be like to like blend in. Like oh yeah, no no, we're all we're all just buddies here. We're all just friends. There's all right. this subtext, and there's a reason why that song got nominated, won the Golden Globe, got no- nominated for an Academy Award. I would bet it will win. They're going to perform not to not to at the Oscars, right? They they perform all of the <laughs> yeah, nominated songs. So several people will probably die during the ceremony in the course of right of uh, of doing this of doing this dance um several fires will break out it, it, it'll be the end of the oscars but you know what an end but it is a perfect example of what spectacle can be in that it is joyful it is not showing off anything technical it is showing off a bunch of people who had to train for weeks and choreograph for weeks right. and have been dancers all their lives because you can't be an indian cinema star, superstar without being a great dancer and singer and everything else um, right. And Avatar has a similar setup, right? It has a scene in the first Avatar and the second, but the first Avatar, there's a scene where they're like, Jake, Sully, you're not one of us. It's reversed, right? It's he has to prove himself to the natives there as an invader, which I would argue right away. That's like, that's a little less effective. Um, and so they're like, you have to fly these these weird CGI creatures, right? Um, he, it's one of many tests, but this is the big one. And of course there's like the biggest one of all that he later gets. And the spectacle there is look at this flying sequence and look how beautiful it is. Right. Look at this, the CGI that we did. Um, Avatar two has the exact same goddamn sequence, which I would argue is very lazy where it's like Jake Sully, you have to prove yourself by flying these other creatures that are like water creatures, but they're also that and there's just another sequence where they're like doing that and then Stephen Lang has to do it and I'm like I don't know why I'm happy for Stephen Lang the villain that he's doing it but sure and like James Cameron has even said that like the studio was like can you cut that sequence and he's like no because I want people to just enjoy it right and so like it's very clear that that to him was the spectacle is I want to show them flying around I don't care if it moves the plot along I want to show it I just think it's interesting that he just did the thing from avatar again and so like in his mind it seems like it's like i've updated the graphics and i want you to see this sequence again with better graphics and it does again i get the 2001 aspect of it all the i want to live in this and i like the vibes but i i personally believe we've gotten to a point with cgi where i'm just i i know it's impressive but there's very little that can blow me away anymore when it comes to CGI. Like it is, it is amazing to see it and go, wow, like that water CG, that's, that's something, you know, but generally speaking, you can watch and go, ah, it's beautiful, but it's all very photorealistic. He doesn't, he's an artist obviously, but he doesn't do anything like, it's not like during a sunset, it's not during a particularly like surreal area it's just like the pandora we know which is beautiful i'm not denying it's not beautiful um i'm just saying that this day and age it's harder for cgi to be something that'll fucking make me gasp whereas watching two men do a dance that i can't even fucking comprehend um that will be timeless you can go back and watch people dancing in like the 30s and it's more amazing than like most of the cgi you see today right because it's the same with you know martial arts it's the same with any practical stunt like when it's real it's just always gonna be 
a little more breathtaking, at least in my personal experience. Um, I can't speak for everyone. So that is me to say all to say that that this dance sequence in RRR is more breathtaking than anything in either avatars for me because it's real and it's incredible. Also, if you had paused our, if you had paused avatar two and said, Jason, what's about to happen here? I would have said, I would guess that Jake Sully, the kids, whoever, that they're going to start to have to learn to ride these sea creatures. It's going to be difficult at first. They'll get a little bit better and better at it. And then they will master it. Yeah. I would have been right. And when they said, well, Hey, yeah. we're going to take the evil bad guy who is, um, also now a Navi avatar, and he's going to try to learn to ride one of these dragons like Jake Sully did in the first movie, I would have said he will eventually master it, but it will be more like brutal and he won't be trying to come to, he won't be trying to build a connection with the nature. He'll be trying to dominate it, but he'll still do it because it's like the two contrasting approaches. Again, I would have been exactly right. If in RR, when these two men entered this party, if you had paused the movie and said, Jason, what's about to happen here? I would have had a lot of guesses. None of them would have been not to, not to. None of them would have, no, because yeah. I would have thought, well, fight will break out, their cover will, will get blown, or they'll discover where the child is hiding, but there'll, there'll be a heartbreaking thing where they can't do it yet, or the two men will have a disagreement. I would have had a lot of guesses. I would never have. Anyone who successfully guesses that exact dance is going to occur, <laughs> I would love to meet them. Yeah. They should be in charge of the world. Yeah. Um, it's the same where it's like, hey, what do you think he's bringing that truck? What, what do you think's in that truck he's driving? I would have never guessed it was just a whole lot of wolves and, and tigers and shit. Which, again, like, turned out to be foreshadowed. He was capturing that tiger for a reason, but that we had long yeah. forgotten that. Like, we thought that was just some tribal ritual they were doing. Like, it comes, you know, yeah. he, he. it's all fair play. It, it, this all fits with his, he is totally capable of going out and gathering up an entire jungle's worth of wild animals. It's just that you that's, never for uh, one second knew what was going to happen when that truck came through the gates. Right. And it is incredible that they set it up in a way that when he jumps out with all those animals, I thought, I, I can believe this. Yeah. <laughs> I believe this because they have shown that that man is capable of collecting those animals and also, like, and then working with them. And also that his patience with going undercover has run out. It's like, again, right. he knows in theory he should try to sneak in individually past the hundreds and hundreds of fully armed British soldiers uh, and again, he does not even have a gun. <laughs> it's like, yep. no, I, I think I'm just going to take them on just full, full on head on assault, just me and my animal friends. And I like those odds. <laughs> and right. he was right until Rom showed up. But uh, And I, oh, sorry, I just want to quickly, because when I keep talking about like, if you're going to be silly, be silly. Avatar 1 has a similar idea which is that magically all the animals of the forest just start fighting with the Navi. And that how, like, that's just as silly. Um, the difference is they try to treat it like it's very, it's not silly and it's not, it's a lot more muted. And it's just like, if you're going to do it, do it. If you're going to do it, have it be awesome. Yeah. Ava- that's Avatar two. They have a, a scene where the little girl learns she has a, a connection to the undersea creatures. And the only consequence right. of this is that one of them kind of like grabs a submarine briefly and that's that. The, right. That's she being... should be jumping out of the water with sharks. Um, 
Like that would have been, like I said, I, I liked Avatar 2, I think more than you. And the reasons I did is like when that whale jumped on the boat and it was like, and started killing everybody. And then it chopped off that guy's arm. That is the closest um, to RRR it gets. And, and it's the exact same reason is just like oh this is absurd and awesome and you're you and you're taking it to the next level right where it's like okay we're working with the ocean but like now that i'm thinking about it it's like why isn't this like the ending of aquaman why aren't they riding sharks why aren't they having this be why can't this be more awesome there's nothing saying it can't be more awesome um and like i don't think it's worth trying to make it serious uh ultimately like just go the extra mile. Yeah. Because there's a way you can do it in a way that's not undermining the drama. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not taking you out of the movie, but that visual of like the guy's arm getting pinned by the cable being dragged by the wheel. That's the only visual that stuck with me from avatar Two. That's the only thing that stuck in my brain. The rest of it was just generic spaceships, mechs, whales, Avatar, uh, uh, you know, Navi, Pandora, wildlife. It's all the stuff I saw from the first movie, only now it's in 48 frames a second. Right. Uh, Yeah. I would also argue there is an emotional, because they kill those whales. They have the whale killing sequence, which is sad. You know, it's like, oh, the little baby is around the mama whale is being killed. That would, the catharsis of seeing a fuck ton of whales (laughs) just start, demolishing like that's the thing is they do it with that one whale it's just i i I think they could have earned that and it wouldn't have been unusual it would have been really cathartic to see if they went over the top with that so we do i know we do have to wrap it up but i do want to end on how these movies end because the ending of avatar actually did make me angry at the movie um, sure. Because so it, it they ended it knowing that they've got a bunch more movies to make. And for some reason, that completely flat villain with no personality, they're so attached on, I guess, making him either the villain for all the movies are also going to do like a redemption arc, whatever. But there's the climactic fight where Jake and the villain are, are fighting and they're drowning and then the, the villain drowns. But then Spider fishes him out of the water. And it basically ends with the villain like climbing up out of the water and shaking his fist. It's like, I'll get you next episode, next next right. week, next. And then everything resets exactly to where the movie started. The invading army is still there. The main bad guy is still there. Jake like ends with like some boring voiceover. At least this is how I remember it talking about, you know, yes, we'll have to still fight the people that we'll be ready. We know the real fight is ahead. It all just plays as like, a preview for, hey, more movies coming. Nothing it's, was accomplished it, or advanced. And nothing changed. The status quo just yeah. resets. It's a placeholder. That That is probably the most, the thing that bugs me the most is um, it not only does that, but it, it also, because Avatar 1, I believe, ends with like, they'll be back, but we'll be ready for them. Um, and and then Stephen Lang is dead, and that's the most progress. And then this one, they're like, remember how he was dead? Eh, he's not dead this time. And they're back. And we're not even going to show them coming back. They're just already here again. And they're looking for precious whale goo. Like, they were looking for unobtainium. And we have to fight them again. And then in the end, we don't even kill the villain. And it is it is a giant placeholder. The entire movie. Because I would also argue the the base motivation, which is Jake Sully saying, I need to go protect my family, 
doesn't didn't make sense to me and so and that is the entire it's like oddly small scale where it's just ends with them with a single boat and they're like yeah we didn't really do anything we didn't take down the invaders they aren't getting back on their ships uh there's no and obviously if they want to make more you can't but it also felt like there's no escalation in the ending where there's no moment like you know the this weird comparison there's no moment where you realize oh agent smith has left the matrix like in the end of the second matrix there's no moment where it's like oh shit just got way more real uh there's nothing like that it is just here's like a it's like an episode of tv but this was three hours long this should have been like an empire strikes back ending we're like, it's like, yes. oh my God, the rebels are in shambles. Luke's had his hand cut off. Vader's his father. Like, you're just reeling. I don't know if people remember what it was like for audiences when that film came out. It's like, right. oh my God, it's going to be years before the next movie comes. It, it just blew. It, it was the second movie in the series. And it, it you know, reintroduced everything and then just blew the status quo out of the water. It, in ways that I would argue, like Return of the Jedi doesn't necessarily do a great job of wrapping everything up or following up on that but at the end of that second movie it's like oh my god this is everything's changed you know it's things have gotten weird they're dark it's it's oddly the pessimistic but you know we're clinging to what what we've got left and and the empire is still out there but now we have different information that we our understanding of the situation has totally changed it should have been something like that but now again rrr may get a sequel someday the finality of its ending is is much more profound because <laughs> they reach Governor Scott's uh, headquarters. The climactic action scene has already occurred. The incredible fight scene in the jungle uh, again gets its own song, and then they, with a, a couple of simple hand signals between the two of them, they launch a motorcycle toward the enemy headquarters and then de- <laughs> detonate it in midair with a flaming arrow where it perfectly lands through the window of the giant room full of dynamite at the center of the headquarters and explodes all the all the remaining bad guys. And then Governor Scott, like his wife, has been torn apart and she's dangling from barbed wire. Which they set up because she has the barbed wire whip. Yes. And then um, yeah. and then they and then uh, Ramaraju gives they, the two of them together give back that speech about the value of a bullet and how much you care about this. And he says, here, let him take this back to England. Let him keep it in his heart and then yeah. shoot him and follow the bullet. And then his blood sprays across the the big slogan on the back of their headquarters, the sun never sets on the English empire. And then with that, explodes into a big song and dance number about how the battle isn't over the etraj and da, the name of the song it's this massive and in the in the middle of this the song and dance number they bring out the director yes they sure uh, do S. S. Ramos, he, he comes i, out I there realized and, it was i'm sorry i realized it was the director because he fucking looks like a director <laughs> i was like oh that guy's the director that how can he not be uh and yeah and and it's and again i completely understand avatar 2 is not going to end with a big celebratory song and dance sequence but Return of the Jedi did. What? Yeah. Also, like, why? Why can't it? Yeah, like, <laughs> like a big, I don't a big know. tribal song and dancing, something that that celebrates the catharsis Joy. of at least having temporarily won or something. If that's the tone you want to set, if the tone you want to set is that it's dark and tragic, like you know, and hopeless, like Return of the Jedi, then fine, set that tone. But if you wanted us to feel like they had successfully done something, then 
let us feel that triumph. And RRR, like, I was so on board with that movie that when all of the cast just breaks out of character and they just do a song and dance number about how, like, celebrating all the, the real revolutionaries from India's history of that period and all of that, and it's just this big, joyful uh, thing about how, like, you know, they're going to find out that there's there's iron in, in every man in this country and all that and the slogans. And it's, it's just very yeah. patriotic and, and fun and over the top. And then the movie continues after that. That's not the end of the movie. It's not like a credit sequence. They, they just go back to the movie. Like the, like the director literally just comes out and joins the, the music for a bit and then like, all right, I'm back to direct the movie now. Do you understand, listeners, how much good faith a movie has to earn with me before it can pull a move like that? The, yeah. I was fully on board because I was just so <laughs> happy with how it ended and that everything came out okay. And I was just so happy with what the movie had shown me and how hard the movie had worked to make me happy uh, by that yeah. point. Uh, I don't. I can't remember the last American movie that's made me that's made me feel that way. I really can't. Oh, a hundred percent. And I like the key word keeps being joy because it is, it's like the cast of a play coming out and like taking a bow and they really did earn that. Um, and I just think there's this, I, I it, it's, there's this presence of joy where it's like, it can still matter emotionally, but at the end of the day, they're like, we're making a movie. Like we're having fun here. Uh, and like, yes, there are movies that shouldn't end this way. Schindler's List shouldn't end with a dance number. Yeah. We'd, you know, we'd like, still be it, talking it, it, about that if that had, if that had happened. Yeah, we, we sure would. We sure would. Like, like Steven Spielberg would but, probably not be up for best director this year for a movie he had made because he yes. probably would not have been allowed to make make any further <laughs> movies after that. Yes, 100%. But like, you know, like it's it's figuring out like what kind of movie are you making? Is it a movie that's just going to be fun? Or is it a movie that's going to say something and it's going to be serious and it's going to be worthy of that? And, and like, I'm not saying that, like, you know, you can't do that with a superhero film. A superhero film can be serious, you know? Avatar can be serious. I just don't think they ultimately did the work to earn the seriousness. And so to me, I'm like, I, I think you could have the exact same plot of Avatar 2. And if you had just injected a little more joy into it, uh, it would have gone a long way. Um, like RRR, I'd say does more than that. You know, it does have emotional stuff. But it, even if it didn't, even if I didn't care about the characters, I would still had a blast watching it for the spectacle that they add in. Uh, and so, like this ending dance number again, like I got teary with joy of just like looking at how much they loved this, how much they loved making movies, and how much they loved doing this movie and how much they put into it. And this dance number just like punctuates it so perfectly. It's such a good ending and it's so earned. RRR took three years to film. They had something like 350 shooting days. They shot hmm. in Ukraine and then all over India. They traveled tens of thousands of miles. Uh, if you have not seen it, uh, despite us two mentioning it on two different podcasts, it is on Netflix. <laughs> Please turn off the English dubbing unless you just cannot tolerate subtitles and listen to it in the original Hindi with subtitles. It generally yeah. 
struggle with, um, especially when there's scenes where the whole point is supposed to be there's a language barrier and it gets confusing about who can understand who. But Netflix, now that it has become popular, they have defaulted it to the English dub. When I watched it, it defaulted to Hindi with subtitles. I would just go into sound options, change it. If you've not seen it yet, watch it and tell me. I don't care about comparing it to Avatar. I'm not asking you to decide whether or not it's better if you've seen both. I would like to see if you agree with me that it should have gotten nominated for more awards. Because I think yeah. the directing achievement, like, I think you're going to say, well, yeah, I see why Oscar did see it as an Oscar movie because, like, the dialogue isn't as naturalistic or whatever. There's not subtle wordplay. And so, well, yeah, they had to record it in four different languages and you're listening you're reading the subtitles of a fifth language that you can, you are limited in how subtle you can be with your dialogue and wordplay when you have to have something that can play and translated, you know, into every possible language in the region. But everything yeah. about what they had to overcome when shooting it, knowing the cultural barriers they had to come, everything about the the technical aspects of it, Go to the credits and count how many different special effects houses were involved in doing all of the God knows how many effect shots, Every the action choreography, and how incredibly inventive every scene is and how it plays out. And above all else, I can't say this enough, the fact that no matter how chaotic the action is, you can always tell exactly what is going on. You know yeah. where the characters are, and more importantly, you know emotionally what they are trying to do, how far they are from doing it. At every movement, they do ramping and slow motion and stuff to draw out the drama of individual movements, and every moment is like maximized for like the biggest emotional impact. I don't see how it doesn't get a best director nod. It, especially like I just I I I don't I, I don't Absolutely. care even if you don't if it if you're turned off by what you see as being like goofy or whatever to your eyes I, I'd be very curious those of you who have not seen it yet it's on Netflix if you have Netflix it's free um, and just see if you see what we're talking about but like especially comparing it to any other big blockbuster and that there's a level of joy that. It seems like Hollywood doesn't strive for very often. They go for other emotions, yeah. but not joy. I would say I, I 100% agree with this, where, um, first of all, there's there's footage of James Cameron gushing to the director of RRR about how much he loved the movie. It's not a competition. Um, it, it, I don't, I don't want to like, if you really liked Avatar 2, I don't want to make you feel like you're wrong for liking it, because you're not. Um, I also think James Cameron pretty much raised me or made me part of the person I am. So he is, he can do whatever he wants from here on, as far as I'm concerned. And I'll watch it. I'll support him because he's, you know, he's incredible. Uh, and it's more of like Avatar 2 was a good example because it's the the fact that it got nominated for Best Picture while RRR did not. Um, and I would I would argue like Avatar 2 just isn't when you look at like just the thing the, the movies are up for best picture one of these things is not like the other um avatar 2 being that thing but um well to be it's also just a very good placeholder for what you're saying which is like american blockbusters and and like not all of them again i mentioned hobbs and shaw but a lot of them 
I feel like fall short and, and ultimately kind of vanish um, from our memory, uh, including Avatar 1, because of this. Uh, and it's what they can learn from a movie like RRR. Um, if you go look at the other songs that were nominated for the Golden Globes, it's like Lady Gaga for her Top Gun 2 theme. And then I think, uh, I don't know, somebody did a song for, maybe Rihanna did a song for Black Panther 2. And then Taylor Swift did a song for Where the Crawdads, Crawdads Sing. And then Not To, mm. Not To from RRR. Like one of these Amazing. things, not like the other. The viral clip of James Cameron talking to SS Rajamuli and the, the other guy who's with him is the guy who did the the music. It's because again, it's a musical. Oh, like this okay. is um, and again, he's renowned for his musicals, you can tell. But it is because they were in Hollywood, all of the cast and crew, everybody for the Golden Globes. And so, for example, they staged a screening of RR at what used to be Man's Chinese Theater. It's now been rebranded, but it's an IMAX, like this iconic theater in Hollywood. And they were there and they did a screening that sold out and the people, the crowd was going nuts. But they were at all these functions where they they got to meet Steven Spielberg. And these these Indian action stars and directors are so starstruck by seeing yeah. these these because this is who, you know, this is Hollywood. This is where this is like the Mecca of filmmaking. And they run into James Cameron, who immediately says he watched RRR, then immediately went and got his wife and made her watch it with him a second time. Yep. And then he starts talking to SS Rajamuli and it just dominates the conversation because he's just spouting things at him like well and then the music and then he did the flashback because it's like only a true spectacle film nerd can't appreciate what has happened here and it's a right. wonderful little That's... moment because they said that he just kept just shouting stuff at them for like 10 straight minutes just breaking down every little thing in the movie that he loved and like the way they did the sound design to make the sound you know the song seem bigger and brought it up in the score like all these things that i wouldn't notice but of course james cameron you know would notice everything yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful clip for that reason. Um, and you know, again, like yeah, getting that compliment from James Cameron is huge because that he knows what he's doing. You know, um, that reminds me of James Cameron. There's a story from Bill, I think Bill Paxton where James Cameron knocked on his door one day and was like, "Get in the car," and he just immediately prompted him to go see Evil Dead Two <laughs> for the same reason. Which is, I love that James Cameron is just he's also a fan. He loves movies. Um, loves movies and that's why he makes some of the biggest movies of all time like this is why because he knows what makes movies work and loves movies and can watch something like evil dead 2 and say hey they made this on five hundred thousand dollars yeah like and that's where he would be more impressed than even the average you know like horror fans like oh my god this is exactly they shot that by just tying the camera to a rope and swinging it through the trees like this is you know this is great yeah so anyway yeah and so like Obviously, Avatar 2 is making all the money because James Cameron knows how to make all the money with a movie. He called his shot um, and you got to respect him for it. And I would say this is less about trying to like pull Avatar 2 down and lifting RRR up, you know, ultimately. I, I, I wanted to frame this as a blank V Blake because, uh, you know, it's more uh, dramatic that way uh, as a podcast. But ultimately, I just... I think this is going into like the Oscars and everything. Um, I think we're going to try to cover 
uh, several of the other best picture movies going forward. I don't know. I thought this was a good way to start. Um, and Jason, thank you so much for uh, coming with this idea. So got to say uh, uh, every time they've interviewed particularly NTR about like, would you want to be in an, in an American movie? He was just like, Oh, absolutely. Both of us. Like we, yeah. cause he's friends with, with Rob Schreiber. like, yeah, we want to be in a Marvel movie. <laughs> like, please yeah. put us in a Marvel movie. Um, if I'm not saying they're going to get a Marvel movie, but I am, I am saying that James Cameron loves RRR. He's filming avatar three. I think there is a non zero chance that Ooh. one of these guys shows up. Now, granted, it will probably not be in, in a very interesting part necessarily, but I think there's a non-zero chance that these guys turn up in a future Avatar movie oh, because he absolutely it. has the power to do that. Uh, yeah. I will say, Marvel, get your shit together. Go look at RRR and start making this movie. For, just get the director and have him make all the Marvels. Or not. I guess that's probably a bad idea for the director. Um, we would probably not but like, like the, Yeah, we would probably not like the outcome of that. But, yeah, uh, exactly. Okay, but yeah, we, we, they wouldn't make it as fun. But yeah, hopefully it's. Uh, and if you again, if you've not if you've not checked out this movie called Avatar Two: Way of Water, just Google it. It may be playing somewhere near you. Uh, cool, it's a right. cool movie. If you've not heard of it, uh, the director's named James Cameron. Um, he's mm-hmm. made some other stuff. He made Piranha Two. Yeah, give him um, a bing, bing him. He made one of he made some of the Terminator movies, not all of them. You'll have to you can I don't know which ones were his, but you know it's uh <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah. the guy whose work we've appreciated for a long time. Mm. Good yeah, good director, you know. Pretty good. <laughs> Bye everybody. All right. <laughs> well, well hold on. Do you want do you want to plug anything? Yes, the book. I mean, if you want to just follow me personally, I'm a TikTok star. My name is Jason K. Pargin over there. Same username on Twitter and on YouTube. But I literally have more people have seen my TikTok videos than have read all of my writing at Cracked or Books combined. I now am primarily mm-hmm. a TikTok personality that all of my other work has, been, has reached fewer people. Uh, Congratulations on that plot twist. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the waking up one day and being like, I guess this is what I do. I do TikTok now. Yes, I'm, um, I'm required to do this, uh, and I, it, it, it's not a compliment. Someone my age should not be good at like communicating with teenagers, so it's not, that's not necessarily a compliment. But anyway, <laughs> oh, they love you. Yeah. They love you. Our level of maturity <laughs> remains it. roughly the same. <laughs> hey, it works. Uh, I'll, I'll plug real quick, patreon.com slash gamefully unemployed. If you want to see, uh, more exclusive podcasts, uh, that's all. That's all. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to our voices and, uh, I don't know. Be, Be good. Don't be bad.